all the humanity. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. To say that a ship was unsinkable, which is what the whole world was saying, to say that was flying in the face of God. The bombing in Oklahoma City was an attack on innocent children and defenseless citizens. It was an act of cowardice, and it was evil. A short time ago, an American airplane Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. It's now clear that the Soviet Union has suffered one of the worst disasters in the history of nuclear power. The challenger, go and throttle up. And slipped the surly bonds of earth to touch the face of God. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. Days of infamy. Hello everyone, and welcome to Season 1, Episode 3 of Days of Infamy. My name is Aaron. In this episode, we're going to find ourselves in Florida once again, covering one of the costliest hurricanes in United States history, 1992's Hurricane Andrew, which struck Florida on August 24th, 1992. Andrew is still the most destructive hurricane to ever hit Florida in terms of structures damaged or destroyed, and was considered the costliest in financial terms up until Hurricane Irma in 2017. If you like what you hear in this podcast, please be sure to subscribe, like us on Facebook, and donate to our Patreon. All our links can be found at daysofinfamy.com. That's D-A-Y-Z of infamy.com. If you have any questions or would like to provide feedback on the podcast or a specific episode, please email us at info at daysofinfamy.com. I also do episodes by request. To have your episode idea considered, please email it to info at daysofinfamy.com. And if you'd like to be sure that your episode is heard sooner rather than later, please head over to my Patreon page and donate at least $25, and I'll do everything within my power to make that episode happen. Now, with all that boring stuff out of the way, it's time to dive into Hurricane Andrew. Let's go ahead and locate it for you so you can plot it. 19.2 north, about 59.5 west, 50 mile an hour winds, west-northwest at 21, and there you see the central pressure. Uh, it's reported now that uh, it may be forming an eye. It was disorganized, becoming a little more organized, though. And the question is, is it a threat to us? It's only a threat in the sense that it's not that far from us, by the way these storms go. We are expecting the storm to start turning on a more westward track similar to this. If the storm continues on this path and it is heading right down the pike of due west at this point, uh, we expect that the storm is going to be in our neighborhood here by early in the day Monday. 1992 was admittedly an unusually calm hurricane season for the Atlantic coast. Up until August, there had been one subtropical storm and two Two tropical depressions. While Tropical Depression 1 did impact Florida, killing five people and causing $2.6 million in damage, it's still considered a calm season. On August 16th, Tropical Depression 3 formed about 1,630 miles east-southeast of Barbados. Initially, forecasters didn't think this would amount to much, 
but over the next few days, the storm intensified. On August 17th, the storm strengthened and was named Tropical Storm Andrew. A Hurricane Hunter flight that flew into Andrew on August 19th was unable to find a well-defined center, and a flight the following day showed the storm had begun to dissipate. Over the next few days, a strong high-pressure system developed over the U.S. and caused Andrew to turn west. Convection became more organized, and an eye was formed. Andrew attained hurricane status early on August 22nd, about 650 miles east-southeast of Nassau, Bahamas. Meteorologists issued a forecast about six hours after Andrew became a hurricane, predicting it to make landfall near Jupiter, Florida, with winds of 105 miles per hour, or Category 1, on or about August 25th. This underestimated both the speed and the strength of the storm. As I'm sure most of you are aware, a hurricane can be one of the most prepared for weather events. There's usually plenty of time to put out warnings, issue evacuations, and hunker down. In the Bahamas, that's exactly what happened. Newly elected Bahamas Prime Minister Hubert Ingram started urging residents to take this hurricane seriously. This was the first new Prime Minister the Bahamas had had in over 25 years, and he was brand new to the job. The Bahamian government opened 58 shelters for evacuees to use during the storm, and forecasters in the Bahamas were predicting storm surges up to 18 feet and up to 8 inches of rain. On August 22nd, hurricane watches were issued from Andros and Eleuthera Islands northward through Grand Bahama and Great Abaco. The watches were later upgraded that day to hurricane warnings and had additional warnings issued for the central Bahamas including Cat Island, Zuma Island, San Salvador Island, and Long Island, Bahamas. Initially, forecasters in Florida predicted tides up to 14 feet above normal along the east coast, near the potential landfall location, and rainfall was projected to be between 5 and 8 inches along the path of the storm. The National Hurricane Center also predicted the likelihood of isolated tornadoes in central and south Florida during the passage of Andrew. Several tropical storm and hurricane warnings were issued for much of the central and south Florida, from Titusville on the east coast to Venice on the Gulf Coast, including all of the Florida Keys. Ahead of the storm, Florida Governor Lawton Childs issued a state of emergency declaration on August 24, 1992 and activated about one-third of the Florida National Guard. Most residents were evacuated, mostly voluntarily, from Broward, Charlotte, Collier, Lee, Martin, Dade, which is now Miami-Dade, Monroe, Palm Beach, and Sarasota counties. A total of 142 shelters opened across these counties and collectively housed at least 84,340 people at the height of the storm. In Dade County alone, 515,670 people were ordered to evacuate, and 20 to 30,000 tourists were evacuated from the Florida Keys. Overall, almost 1.2 million people were evacuated, contributing to the low number of deaths despite the strength of the storm. Many evacuees checked into hotels, causing no vacancies as far north as Ocala, Florida. The evacuations also contributed to the largest traffic jam in Florida history, mostly along I-95. Shortly after the storm devastated Florida and moved into the Gulf of Mexico, the National Hurricane Center issued watches and warnings for the Gulf Coast, spanning from Mobile, Alabama to Sabine, Texas. The watches and warnings were later expanded to go from Mobile to Freeport, Texas. Due to the hurricane's threat, oil workers on platforms in the Gulf were evacuated and Coast Guard ships removed inland. In Louisiana, Governor Edwin Edwards declared a state of emergency and about 1.25 million people evacuated from central and southeast Louisiana, while an additional 60,000 fled parishes in southwest Louisiana. A mandatory evacuation was issued by the mayor of Grand Isle, and in New Orleans, Mayor Sidney Bartholomew ordered the evacuation of about 200,000 from low-lying areas of the city. 
Nine shelters were opened in New Orleans, which were occupied by the thousands. In response to prior computer simulations that had been ran with the storm surge numbers expected off Andrew, New Orleans closed 111 floodgates in fear that the levees that protect the city would be topped. With windows boarded up and everyone believing they were prepared, the Bahamas, Florida, and Louisiana had no idea the monster that was waiting at their door. When you see us move and you're watching us, we want you to move to your safe spot. I'll tell you what, uh, uh, maybe, Raphael, you could find a couple batteries here uh, to bring in here as we go in here so that we don't run out of, uh, of power. Although we're going to, I guess, Tony has a mic in here that we can use no matter what happens battery-wise. Here we are, Ryan. We're all set. <laughs> we're all set. I'll tell you what, this is the safest spot, without, without a doubt, here at the station. Uh, uh, the, the absolutely most intense part of the storm right now is coming ashore at, at South Miami, uh, Cocoa Plum area, uh, the, the uh, Gables Estates, Gables by the Sea, uh, all, all that kind of area, just south of the University of Miami. On Sunday, August 23rd, 1992, at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, Hurricane Andrew made the first of five landfalls it would make during its lifetime in Eleuthera Island, Bahamas. Coming on shore as a Category 5 hurricane with 160 mile per hour winds, most of the impact of Andrew was limited to sparsely populated islands, with the more populated areas receiving rainfall and gusty winds. Eleuthera Island, where Andrew came ashore, is a small island only about one mile in width and only 200 square miles total, with a population of about 8,000. The current, a small village on the northwestern part of the island, recorded a storm surge of around 25 feet. Andrew destroyed more than half the houses on the island, and the rest of the buildings sustained minor to major damage. One person drowned from the storm surge in Lower Bogue, Eleuthera, and two others died in the bluff. On current island, the hurricane destroyed 24 of the 30 homes, and on Harbor Island, near Eleuthera, it was reported that wind gusts were up to 138 miles per hour, the strongest winds observed in the Bahamas during Andrew's passage. Reports indicated that 36 houses on Harbor Island suffered severe damage. The storm also impacted the private island of Cat Cake, causing heavy damage to many of the expensive homes there. The storm made two landfalls in the Bahamas, the second being four hours after the first at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the Southern Barry Island as a Category 4 hurricane with winds of 150 miles per hour. Total damage in the Bahamas was estimated at approximately $250 million in the 1990s currency. The storm then continued across the Atlantic and made its third landfall at 3 a.m. Eastern on August 24th on Elliott Key, Florida as a Category 5 hurricane with 160 mile per hour winds. On the Keys, they had light rainfall with no significant flooding, although some areas did experience localized flooding. High winds were limited to the upper Keys, especially on Key Largo, where a 13-minute sustained wind of 114 miles per hour was recorded. On Key Largo, approximately 1,500 homes were damaged with at least 300 of those becoming uninhabitable. The storm also caused major damage to billboards, awnings, commercial signs, several boats, planes, and trees. This was mainly on the northern side of Key Largo. One indirect fatality occurred in Monroe County when a fireman was injured and later succumbed to his injuries. In the Everglades and Biscayne National Park, over 25% or 70,000 acres of the trees were failed or severely damaged. A quarter of the royal palms and a third of the pine trees in the Everglades were either significantly damaged or destroyed. In addition, waves up to 5 feet were reported in Flamingo, which is near Cape Sable. 
The fourth landfall of Andra occurred at 4.05 a.m. Eastern Time when it struck Homestead, Florida as a Category 5 hurricane. The storm proceeded across South Florida for about four hours and then emerged into the Gulf of Mexico. While in South Florida, the storm caused extensive damage to Dade County, now Miami-Dade County. Storm surge was low, ranging from four to six feet but there were some isolated surge reports up to 16.9 feet. Measurements taken at Homestead Air Force Base recorded the barometric pressure of the storm at 922 millibars, making Andrew the most intense hurricane to strike Florida since the Labor Day hurricane of 1935 and the strongest to hit the United States since Hurricane Camille in 1969. Throughout the state, rainfall was quite low, with the peak around 13.98 inches in the Everglades. Storm surge, however, was not what made this storm's damage total rise. It was all about the extreme winds. In Dade County, most of the anemometers were either destroyed or failed before the highest winds occurred, but a home in Perrine did report winds of 212 miles per hour. However, after the storm, a study conducted by Clemson University determined that the instrument used to measure that speed had a 16.5% error rate, and so the speed was revised down to 177 miles per hour. The National Hurricane Center headquarters in Coral Gables, Florida reported sustained winds of 115 miles per hour and gusts up to 164 miles per hour. Shortly after that reading, the anemometer and the radar at the National Hurricane Center were blown off the roof and completely destroyed. With Andrew being small in circumference, the winds only reached as far north as Miami Beach. As the storm moved across the state, it left a path of destruction. In Homestead, it was estimated that 99.2% of mobile homes were destroyed, with only 9 of the city's 1,176 mobile homes remaining. I'm not sure if you've seen pictures of this storm before, but they are what I think of when I think of complete destruction. You see parts of homes all over the place, with roofs and personal belongings scattered everywhere. It almost looks like one giant garbage dump. At Homestead Air Force Base, most of the 2,000 buildings on the base became severely damaged or unusable. The damage was so extensive that the base was recommended for closure. Four of the five condominiums at Naranja Lakes were also damaged beyond repair, while the fifth was able to be refurbished later. In the nearby town of Florida City, over 120 homes were demolished, while 700 others were severely damaged. In Country Walk and Saga Bay, F3-like tornado damage was observed mainly due to the poor construction of the homes in that area. Winds were reported to be between 130 and 150 miles per hour. From Key Largo to Miami Beach, at least minor damage was reported from downed trees and power lines to beach erosion. Across the state at the height of the storm, over 1.4 million were without power, and some of those would be without power for over a month. There were 44 fatalities in Florida as a result of Hurricane Andrew and an estimated 101,241 homes were damaged and another 63,000 were destroyed, leaving approximately 175,000 people homeless, with most of the damage concentrated in Dade County. 82,000 businesses were damaged and acres of farmland, schools, hospitals, power lines, and traffic signals were all damaged or destroyed. The storm also deposited 20 million cubic yards of debris that had to be removed. Total damage in Florida was 25.3 billion, with some estimates as high as 34 billion in 1992 dollars, or as high as 62.7 billion dollars in 2022. After the storm left Florida and moved into the Gulf of Mexico, several oil platforms were evacuated of hundreds of employees. The storm caused damage to 241 oil and gas facilities in the Gulf, and 33 platforms off the coast of Louisiana were toppled. 
The oil industry lost approximately $12 million a day in the days immediately following Hurricane Andrew and was still losing about $4 million a day three weeks later. There was approximately $500 million in damages to the oil industry from this storm. Andrew's fifth and final landfall occurred on August 26, 1992 at 4.05 a.m. Eastern Time or 3.05 a.m. Local Time when it came ashore 20 miles south-southwest of Morgan City, Louisiana as a Category 3 hurricane with winds of 115 miles per hour and gusts up to 120 miles per hour. Louisiana suffered coastal flooding from Vermilion Bay to Lake Bourne due to the storm surge. Louisiana also suffered several F3 tornadoes due to Andrew, killing two and injuring another 32. There was one tornado spawn that was on the ground for 10 minutes in Laplace, Louisiana, where it damaged or destroyed 163 structures, leaving 60 families homeless. The primary concentration of damage from Andrew in Louisiana was about 32 miles east of where Andrew made landfall in St. Mary's Parish, where 1,367 dwellings were destroyed and another 2,028 were severely damaged. At least an additional 4,770 homes were impacted with minor damage. At the height of the storm, 230,000 here were without power. There were 17 deaths attributed to Andrew in Louisiana and at least 75 injuries. The damage was not only limited to structures here. The crop damage to sugar and soybeans was approximately $200 million. The total damage count in Louisiana was around $1.56 billion. In the closet, laying on top of my baby. Oh man, this is like someone nuked this whole area. It's been a long three days without sleep, partner. Where in the hell is the Calvary on this one? In the aftermath of Hurricane Andrew, countless homes and businesses were left decimated. The area looked like it had suffered a nuclear strike as opposed to a hurricane. People went to sleep one night as they normally would and woke up to a scene out of a disaster movie the next morning. And those people looked to the government for assistance. In the Bahamas, the government there initially believed it would not require assistance from foreign governments. However, within hours of the storm hitting the British Royal Navy destroyer HMS Cardiff on regular patrol in the Caribbean had arrived. And within a few days, a platoon of 30 British Army combat engineers came in from Belize with supplies for building temporary shelters. The British government also sent water, food, ice, tents, blankets, cots, and other necessary items to help the Bahamas get back on their feet. Later, other governments, including Japan, Canada, the United States, and the United Nations, also sent aid in the form of money and items. In Florida, shortly after the hurricane passed, then-President George H.W. Bush assessed the damage in the Miami area along with then-Governor Lawton Childs. Bush quickly declared the region a national disaster area, which opened up public assistance to the victims of the storm. President Bush proposed a disaster relief package of $7.1 billion to Congress to provide disaster benefits, small business loans, crop loss loans, food stamps, and public housing to the victims of the hurricane. This later wound up being $11.1 billion. This was the most costly disaster aid package at the time and passed on September 18, 1992 and was signed into law on September 23rd. Although recovery efforts were extensive, they were slow, especially with assistance from the government. Even though Bush had toured the area and promised aid, 
Due to a miscommunication between the state and federal governments, there was very little relief during the first few days after the storm. Crime rates in Dade County increased by nearly 50% in the aftermath of Andrew, mainly due to damaged and destroyed businesses being looted. As a result, gun sales soared and residents posted signs with messages such as, You loot, we shoot. Looting quickly ceased when the army was dispatched to the area by President Bush. Instead of trying to rebuild, more than 100,000 residents moved northward, significantly altering the demographics of the Dade County area, as well as the demographics that they moved into. The government had initially given up on Homestead Air Force Base, which was a major economic powerhouse for Dade County. The Department of Defense eventually did allocate around $100 million for repairs on the base, and on March 5, 1994, the base was reopened as the Homestead Air Reserve Base. Nearly two years after Andrew, about 70% of the homes in Homestead that were damaged or destroyed were repaired or rebuilt. Additionally, of the homes destroyed or severely damaged throughout Dade County, 36,000 have been restored by July of 1994. The impact of the storm on insurance industries in Florida was astronomical, causing more than 930,000 policyholders to lose their coverage after 11 insurance companies went bankrupt due to more than 600,000 insurance claims filed after the storm. This led Florida to forming several underwriting associations and starting the Florida Hurricane Catastrophe Fund to restore adequate insurance capacity to Florida. In the aftermath of Andrew, stricter building codes were put in place requiring things such as storm shutters to be on homes and other hurricane-resistant building materials to be used in all construction. After hurricanes Charlie, Francis, and Ivan, it was found that the homes that were built to these new standards suffered less damage during a hurricane than those who were still grandfathered in under the old laws. Andrew struck Florida in the middle of the 1992 presidential election season, and approval ratings for both President Bush and Governor Childs fell to abysmal rates in Florida after the storm due to the botched handling of the recovery efforts. Another side effect of Andrew in Florida was that a facility housing Burmese pythons was destroyed by the storm, causing the pythons to escape into the Everglades, helping to lead to the current python invasion that Florida faces today. In Louisiana, on August 26, 1992, President George H.W. Bush toured the areas affected by Andrew with Governor Edwin Edwards, where he stated that the destruction from the storm goes beyond anything we have known in recent years. But he also noted that the damage in Louisiana was far less severe than what he had observed in Florida earlier. After he visited Louisiana, Bush declared Terrebonne Parish a federal disaster area and later added another 34 parishes to that list. In the days following the storm, residents and Louisiana National Guard members worked to remove debris and start repairing the areas affected by the storm. In early September of that year, officials announced that 1,400 mobile homes, homes, and apartments would be made available to residents whose dwellings became uninhabitable due to the storm. In early December, the Small Business Administration approved $33.2 million worth of low-interest loans for repairs to homes and businesses, and FEMA approved $35.9 million in grants to over 18,000 households that were ineligible for the SBA loans or were uninsured. 
In addition to the mobile homes already provided, FEMA spent $22.6 million on disaster housing in Louisiana. Andrew was definitely a storm for the ages. Between the Bahamas, Florida, and Louisiana, total storm damage was approximately $27.3 billion in 1992 dollars, which is about $56 billion in today's dollars, and cost us the lives of 65 individuals. It forever changed the way Florida and the United States looks at hurricanes, and often people of Florida who are around before the storm use pre- and post-Andrew times for a measurement. As you'll see in a later episode, another President Bush also had issues with a hurricane, this time striking the major metropolitan area of New Orleans. This is, of course, Hurricane Katrina, the current ranking costliest storm on record. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Days of Infamy. If you did, be sure to subscribe. I release episodes on the first and third Friday of every month. Also, if you'd like, please feel free to like us on Facebook and donate to my Patreon page so I can keep putting episodes out. If you'd like me to consider your topic for an episode, please email info at daysofinfamy.com. That's D-A-Y-Z of infamy.com. And your donation of $25 or more on Patreon will ensure that I do everything within my power to make that happen. On our next episode of Days of Infamy, we'll be taking a look at the third deadliest aviation accident in U.S. history, which was initially thought to be a terrorist attack, when we dive into TWA Flight 800. Be sure to join us for that. Until then, I'm Aaron, and this has been Days of Infamy. Days of Infamy.